You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning I want to go back into the book of Acts and talk to you about uh, detours and delays. Uh, None of us like delays. And if you've ordered a package recently, you know what that's like. If you've tried to schedule an appointment at the RMV, you know what that's like. If you've had to try and schedule a doctor's appointment, you know what it's like to experience delays and how frustrating and discouraging delays can be and how difficult they can be. Nothing is more discouraging than seeing the plans and goals that you have be put on the shelf or to wait a long time for them, especially if it's a plan that God has given you, especially if it's a God-given dream, a God-given plan, a God-given goal that's been given to you, and you see it being pushed off, particularly it's frustrating when it has nothing to do with you, when everything about the delay has everything to do with someone else's mess-up. Someone else didn't do their job, didn't do their part, did not follow through. When we encounter delays like that, it is particularly frustrating, especially when you've done everything that you can to be ready for the next step in God's plan for your life, when you've been faithful, when you've done your part, and then everything is held up not because you weren't faithful, not because you weren't obedient, but because somebody else was slow and dragging their feet or just outright disobedient. What do we do with these things? What do we do with uh, disappointments and delays when it comes to God's plan? Well, we need to take a look at some of the delays that Paul experienced. And they changed his plans and what he did and what he was doing during that waiting period. I believe there's a lesson for us today when it comes to unexpected delays. Now, if you remember, we were uh, in the book of Acts prior to Easter. And prior to that time, we were looking at the Apostle Paul. And we were looking at a a four-part series called Trials... Uh, troubles, trials, and tribulations, and how Paul went through four different trials, uh, different occasions that uh, held him up. And each time, he always found a way to include his testimony as part of his defense. We talked about how Paul was misunderstood and mistreated in week one, and about the things that were said about Paul that weren't true, and how he worked on communicating clearly so people understood where he was coming from. In the second week, we talked about how the Lord wants us to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, that God has given us the ability to be tough on the outside, but tenderhearted on the inside. That means that we're clever, that we're wise, that we are calculating in our decisions and the things that we have to do, but we never lose sight of being gentle and humble-hearted before the Lord. And so we come to the third of our four trials here that Paul faces And he is uh, looking for and looking forward to an audience with Caesar himself. His desire is to get to Rome so he can actually have a hearing with the emperor of Rome so that he can have the opportunity to share the gospel. Now consider this, when everyone else is running away from the Roman Empire, Paul is on a collision course with it for the gospel and for the kingdom. 
Here we see in Acts chapter 23, and we'll be looking at it together. So I want to encourage you to follow along with us. So turn to chapters 23 and 24 in your Bibles or in your app and follow along with me. And if I miss something, you can tell me after service and let me know how I messed up, okay? But we're going to be in chapter 23 and 24, and we're beginning in verses 11 through 35. We're going to summarize this for you today. We leave off with Paul the Apostle in chapter 23. He had successfully made his defense before the Sanhedrin, uh, speaking to the ruling council, talking about the resurrection. You'll remember that there are two sides to the Sanhedrin. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so Paul says, I'm here because of my faith and my uh, testimony of the resurrection. And the Pharisees, well, like, we don't see any problem with this man because he's one of us. And the Sadducees are like, well, we have a problem with them, and they fought amongst each other to the point that uh, they were going after Paul in such a degree that the Roman soldiers had to come in and rescue Paul from that trial before the Sanhedrin. And the stakes become higher because um, after this whole situation unfolds, 40 Jewish zealots make an oath. They take an oath before the Lord, and they tell the Sanhedrin about it. They said, we have taken an oath, 40 men, that we will not eat anything until the Apostle Paul is killed by our hands. Their plan was simple, that the the next time Paul was in Jerusalem for his hearing, that they would lay in wait for him and ambush him, and they would beat him to death. This becomes, this news becomes evident And uh, Paul's nephew overhears this, coincidentally. And Paul's nephew runs to the Roman commander and says, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there are 40 men that are looking to kill Paul, and they're waiting to lie in ambush for him. Something amazing then happens. The Roman commander is so uh, unnerved by this, so disturbed by this. Yes, you can have the Wi-Fi password, whoever you are. Go ahead. It's yours. There you go. Um, So he's so disturbed by the news that something unprecedented happens. Remember, this is one Jewish preacher from Tarsus. And the Roman commander says this is such a big deal that he sends him out with 200 spearmen and 75 riding horsemen under the cover of night at 9 p.m. One man. One Jewish preacher, one little Christian troublemaker, and immediately the Roman uh, commander has dispatched a battalion to escort this man from Jerusalem to Caesarea where the governor, the Roman governor Felix resides. They said, Paul is in too much trouble here. It's too dangerous for him to be here. They move him up to Caesarea. Understand this, when God raises your profile you become higher up on the devil's hit list. When God raises your profile, when you start doing things for the kingdom, recognize that there will always be uh, an opportunity for people to come against you, the devil to come against you. Why? Because you are making a difference for the kingdom. Sometimes we do things for the Lord and we don't understand why things are going as poorly as they are. And we immediately assign the blame to God, that God, what are you doing or what aren't you doing in this situation? When we're misplacing the blame here, we're forgetting about that there's other forces at work within this world. Well, you say, well, Pastor Dan, that sounds super spiritual. Listen, Jesus admitted to the fact that there was a real devil. 
He talked about the, the, the world that was run by him, calling him the prince of the power of the air, the, the god of this age, the apostle Paul spoke of him as. So there's a real threat there. So when we are doing what is right in God's sight, when you're living right, when you're uh, doing the things he wants you to do and things start to go sideways, they start to go poorly, recognize that that's not God coming against you. Recognize that the very forces of hell working to stop you from doing the good things that you're trying to do. I believe my pointer's not quite working here, so if I get some, get some help in the back, that'd be great. Don't forget that the world is against you too. They got their sights set on this one man who has turned the world upside down for Jesus. And ever since Paul's conversion, he has been the subject of murderous threats. One commentary says, Paul's life had been in danger from the very beginning of his ministry. When he witnessed for Christ in Damascus, in Acts 9, during his visit to Jerusalem after his conversion, the Hellenistic Jews tried to kill him. The Jews drove him out of Antioch and Pisidia in Acts chapter 13. They threatened to stone him in Iconium in chapter 14. Paul was actually stoned. I don't mean that he was visiting the local cannabis station, okay? He actually was stoned to death in Lystra in chapter 14. In Corinth, the Jews tried to get him arrested in chapter 18. In Ephesus, the Jews had a plot to kill him in chapter 20. They even planned to kill him while he was at sea in Acts 20. So Paul has kind of gotten used to being threatened with his own life. But notice that he is not deterred by that. Notice that nothing stops him from his purpose of preaching and sharing the gospel. Let's continue with the story in Acts chapter 23, looking at uh, verses uh, 26 through 30, continuing onward here. Uh, So we see that they depart from Jerusalem. They take him 60 miles north to the governor's residence in Caesarea. And Claudius Lysias, the Roman commander, wanting to make a good impression to the Roman governor, uh, sends this letter along with Paul and a battalion of soldiers. The commander doesn't go himself. He merely sends a battalion. He sends this sealed letter with him. And it's all very formal. And he writes this way. And he says, uh, he introduces himself, Claudius Lysias, To the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason why they accused him, I brought him before their council. And I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had done nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told to me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. That's the end of his letter. Now, the Roman commander embellishes a little bit here. If you recall from chapter 23, this Roman commander did not rescue him because he was a Roman. He intervened because a riot had broken out. He didn't learn that he was a Roman, that Paul was a Roman, until after he had imprisoned him. And it was a fact that he learned only as he had Paul tied to a post to be scourged. It was only then when Paul turned over his shoulder and said, "Uh, by the way, is it lawful to scourge a Roman citizen? And then all of a sudden the commander got very concerned about things. So the Roman commander is embellishing his story, changing it a little bit, a fact that he conveniently leaves out. But it's actually good that Paul has moved to Caesarea because Jerusalem had become too dangerous for him. 
Now, as we look at chapter 24, um, let's take a look at that together. Verses 1 through 9, we see that uh, Paul begins a third trial, a trial before the Roman governor Felix. And being so far from Jerusalem, Paul is actually safer here than he would be in Jerusalem. Antonius Felix, the Roman governor, according to the Roman historian Tacitus, was a man who wielded the power of a king, but had the mind and disposition of a slave. What he meant by that is that he was a rough and crass man, corrupt, seeking bribes, and even paying robbers to assassinate people. He even had hired some robbers to try and assassinate the high priest, Jonathan. However, Felix was married to a Jewish woman named Drusilla, who happened to be the daughter of Herod Agrippa. Now, the governor was ready to hear the case and demands of the chief priests who had accused him. They were, now, what happened with these chief priests, they had to travel 60 miles north to Caesarea. I believe it's south, actually. They had to travel to Caesarea to be able to bring their case before the Roman governor. And by doing so, they didn't come alone. They recognized that if we're going to speak to a Roman governor, we better hire a good lawyer. And so they did. They hired a a lawyer uh, called Tertullus, and Tertullus does the speaking. We're not sure if he is a Greek, a Roman, or a Jew, but regardless of which, they brought in the big guns. They brought in the hired guns. You know how you see the commercials on TV that if you've been involved in an accident to call this number and this lawyer will represent you. It's kind of like that. The the chief priest didn't feel comfortable bringing their own case, so they hired a professional lawyer, a speaker, an orator to bring their case. And he does the speaking. He makes the case that, you know, Felix, oh, great governor, you shouldn't even really be bothered with this at all. This is a trivial matter. We know that you're a busy man, so... it's, it's, it even bothers us. It pains us to bring this before your attention. And he accuses Paul of things that certainly aren't true. He says that he tried to defile the temple. He tried to undermine the Jewish law and its traditions. He tried to stir up the people against Rome. And that he even went so far to say he's a plague that needs to be eradicated. Now, Tertullus also presents a different story than the story that the Roman commander had written in the letter itself. They said, I know the Roman commander said that, you know, he rescued him, but we actually seized him and laid hold of him. So we have this he said, she said story starting to come about. As we read on in verses 10 through 12, the story continues. And Paul is allowed to speak. And when Paul speaks, he asserts his innocence. And listen, whenever you're accused of something even if it's for the Lord, if you're living right and doing the right thing, then stand up for your innocence. Stand up for your rights and what you've done versus what you haven't done. Don't let someone else control the narrative. So often we allow other people to control the narrative and say, you're this, that, and the other thing, and we say, well, out of humility or out of shame, we go, yeah, I guess you're right about that. Listen, you're a child of the king. You're a follower of the Most High God. You, you live for him, and he is at your ready defense. He goes before you, and he is your rear guard. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So we need to remember that sometimes when we face accusation, we say, well, what am I going to do with this accusation? Stand up for what is right. Stand up for your innocence. And Paul does do that. He makes his defense, citing five things in his defense First of which he says, 
uh, he hadn't even been in Jerusalem long enough to start a riot. He's like, I haven't even been here long enough to do some of the things that you have said that I've done. Secondly, he says that his accuser could not even cite a specific instance when he started the riot. He's like, you said I started a riot in Jerusalem. When did that happen? When did I cause a riot? And no one had an answer for that. He affirmed also that he was not worshiping a different God as of his forefathers, a different God than other than his forefathers. Paul considered himself Jewish still, and that he is worshiping God according to the Jewish tradition. And he himself held to a belief in the resurrection, a belief that was not different than his accusers, the high priests. Now, he is, you'll sometimes see the phrase that the way is referred to in there. Say that he is a follower of the way, a sect of, of Jewish uh, followers called the way. Now, what that means is that is referring to the way of Christ. So Paul and the, the apostles were followers of the ways of Jesus. So anytime you see the phrase that they are people of the way, it means that they were Christians. Fourthly, he also stated that he came to bring an offering for his fellow countrymen. His purpose for coming to Jerusalem wasn't to cause trouble, but actually to help. And fifthly, he didn't even start the riot. If you remember in chapter 23 at the beginning, it was a group of Jews from Asia Minor who had come and stirred up the crowd with false information and caused people to turn on Paul. It's a good time to point out, too, that Paul is... Uh, as far as his pedigree goes, he is an accomplished writer, scholar, and orator. He was trained as a Pharisee under one of the, their most revered teachers, Gamaliel. He was trained in Greek philosophy and theology. Uh, in his writings in the book of Romans, they are considered to be some of the most complex and theologically rich ideals ever put forth in Scripture. So Paul knows how to speak. Paul is not a dummy. He knows what uh, he believes in. He knows the laws and customs of the people and the places that he's been to, and he knows how to adequately and confidently communicate his case. And he trusted the Lord in the midst of it. He trusted the Lord who had promised him that he would testify of him in Rome, Acts 23, 11. Paul had faith that this would not be his end but that God still had a plan and purpose for him to fulfill. Listen, when you trust God's plan for your life, you will not be thrown off course by delays and detours. I'll say it again. If you know God's plan and purpose for your life, if you are confident and faithful and assured of his plan for your life, nothing can thwart or throw off his plan for you. No delay, no detour can undo what God has planned. And Paul took confidence in this. He had confidence that his race was not over and that his job was not done. He had a sure promise from Jesus himself about his future. Doubt and fear never entered the mind of the apostle. But how many know there's no such thing as a quick court case? How many know that there's no such thing as a quick court case? Let's take a look at Acts chapter 24, verses 22 and 23. Follow along with me, if you will. It says, But when Felix heard these things, and having a more accurate knowledge of the way, there's that phrase again, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, 
I will make a decision in your case. And so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty and not to forbid any of his friends uh, to provide or visit him. So Governor Felix, realizing that there really isn't much case against Paul, postpones his trial. Why don't you think about that for a minute? Fair trial, that's what you want. You want to be heard, you want to have a ruling and get out of there. He says, you know what, we need more information, and I'm going to send for the commander. When the commander comes, um, I'll make a decision then, but Felix is actually procrastinating. He's putting off his decision. And so he puts Paul in this situation, and he says, okay, well, we'll wait for that, and, and we'll, uh, to appease this angry crowd of, of Jewish leaders, uh, I'm just going to keep him in custody. And, uh, you know, we'll ha- let Paul have visitors, and, you know, he could see people, and Paul had the freedom to... to uh, kind of go around the palace and stay in the palace. He couldn't leave, but he could have visitors and entertain people as they were coming, and they could bring him things, but he could not leave. But then Felix, prompted by his wife, calls for Paul to come and speak to him, and this time it's not to defend himself. This time, Paul preaches the gospel. Verses 24 through 27. It says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, had sent for Paul, who heard him concerning the faith in Christ, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he had also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, can you underline that somewhere? After two years... Portius Festus succeeded Felix as governor, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound in chains. Felix delayed making a decision. He's curious about Christianity. He's curious about the gospel. But when Paul preaches the gospel, not a wishy-washy gospel, not a feel-good gospel, not a Jesus-loves-you-and-you-don't-have-to-do-anything-different gospel. When he preaches about sin, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix is all of a sudden really unnerved by it. You have to realize that Felix and Drusilla were both lives of, they both lived lives of questionable character. Felix was a man who lacked self-control. He was full of greed and dishonesty. And this must have troubled him See, he was enlightened in his mind, but he was not moved in his heart. You know, you can sit in church your whole life and hear about Jesus and hear about the gospel. You can raise your kids in church, and they can sit in Sunday school and Royal Rangers and do all different kinds of things, and they can sit and listen to their dad preach ad nauseum or whatever the case might be and be forced to go to church. But it doesn't mean that they will necessarily believe There are times that we have to understand that there are people that delay making a decision. So Paul lays it out there. He lays out what the gospel is all about. And Felix is troubled by it. His mind was enlightened, but his heart was unchanged. He liked listening. He liked hearing. He liked talking about it. But when it came to making a decision, he didn't make a decision. He chose to stand on the outside of faith rather than accept it and change. Instead, Felix sent often for Paul to speak, hoping that he would offer him a bribe to release him. Don't delay your decision. Why don't you think about that for a minute? Is that we sometimes think when we're sharing with somebody that, wow, they're really into this. They really must really want to hear from God. And then all of a sudden, you know, Felix is like, well, 
Paul, you know, I could get you out if you gave me a reason to get you out of prison. And all of a sudden, the conversations about faith really weren't about faith at all, but they really had a different motive involved. I think as believers, we should always share our faith. We should always share the gospel. We should always share Christ, but we must always ask ourselves and be discerning about who we're sharing it with, too. Are they listening because they genuinely want to listen, or are they listening because they want to debate you? Are they listening because they genuinely want faith, or are they listening because they want some money from you? Are they listening to you because they want to hear about Jesus, or are they listening to you because they want to date you? Are they listening because they really want to hear about Jesus, or do they have something else that they're trying to accomplish instead? Felix said, you know what? Paul, I like talking with you. I love having you here. Let's talk more often. And I'm sure Paul must have been frustrated by the fact that every time I'm talking to the governor, he seems really interested and he seems really engaged. But then when he gets close to the part that seems to be convicting, he says, no more, to, no more for today. Go away. Or I got to go. I got to leave. And all of a sudden, everything changes about that. Felix and Drusilla delayed their decision. Can I challenge you today, as, as someone that's sitting here, maybe you know Christ, maybe you don't, but I will challenge you today, don't delay your decision to follow Jesus. You only have one life to live. You only have 80 years on this earth, maybe more if you're blessed and fortunate. But most of us only have a certain amount of time here, and we have to ask ourselves the question, are we ready to be confronted? Are we ready to, be, to stand before God and say, you know what, I believe in you, I have faith in you. I have trust in you. There is no second chance after that. There's no do-overs once you reach the afterlife. Once you stand on heaven's doorstep, there's no chance to go, well, I meant to. I was planning on it. I was going to get around to it. But, you know, I had other things going on. You know, I had had an empire to run. I had had to governor. I had to govern everything around me. And so I would have done it sooner, but uh, this or that or the other reason. How many know the excuses don't matter in that situation? You're living in a period of grace right now. Do you realize that? You're living in a period of grace in which God's grace is available for every man, woman, and child to come to him and believe in him. There will be a day coming soon that where that will not be the case. If you read the book of Revelation, you know things are going to get much worse. So be assured of where your faith is now instead of having to wait till then and having it be too late. Two years. Can you imagine being stuck in a place for two years? That's a long time to be somewhere. No one likes delays, and we've all had them and experienced them. Delays frustrate, discourage, and even anger us. All we can focus on in the delay is where we would rather be and where we want to get going. If you're waiting for something to be delivered, you're saying, all I can wait for, I just can't wait for that thing to finally arrive. And the fact that it hasn't arrived makes you have angry phone calls to whoever company you bought it from, right? And all of a sudden, you're not so Christian as you once were before you ordered that item, right? We don't like delays. Delays trouble us. They frustrate us. It's even more frustrating when we, God has a plan for us. He's spoken to you. He's told you things. He, he's laid things on your heart, things that you want to see accomplished for his kingdom in your family, in your business. And you're like, well, I just want to do that. Why can't I do that? Like, what's wrong? What's happening here? 
And it's easy to blame God. It's easy to say, well, what did I do wrong? But sometimes we have to recognize that the factors involved don't have anything to do with us and have everything to do with others that are working against us. You could be doing everything right and still experience delays. Part of the reason for, another reason for delays are detours. You ever been detoured? So fun when you're detoured, I just have to say, because, and usually the detour comes when you're running late, right? You're running late to work, you're running late to the doctor's appointment, and you say, I know that I can cut this time in about 17 minutes between here and the doctor's office, and if you just are quick, you'll be okay. And inevitably, what's happening, especially as the weather's getting warmer, right? Road work. No end to road work, in Westfield and Agawam and Southwick, they decided to widen the roads. Why didn't they widen the roads when you actually needed them widened? Not when you're trying to go somewhere, you know. And so you're, you're trying to get somewhere, and there's a detour. And detours are aggravating and challenging because you want to go one place, and you get taken to another. It takes you out of the way and takes you longer than you expected to. But sometimes detours are meant to keep you from danger. Paul was taken out of Jerusalem because he was in danger. He was taken to a place where no one was going to be able to lay a hand on him. I want you to think about that for a minute. In Jerusalem, he had 40 people that had taken an oath to, to fast until they had murdered Paul. And so he gets taken to a Roman stronghold in Caesarea under, the, under a uh, pagan and corrupt Roman governor And he's safer there than he would be in his own hometown. There are times where detours come up in your life where you're taken out of the way for something, but it's meant for your protection. One of the reasons why I say don't go down that way is because there's a big hole in the road or the bridge is out or there's a tree down and we're saying, well, why can't we go that way? Some of you have maybe even pulled up to the police office and go, "Why, why can't we go this way? says, well, there's a tree down, and there's wires down. And I was like, well, hurry up, right? <laughs> so it's meant to, be, to keep us from harm. And I would ask you and challenge you the next time that you are going through a delay and a detour, ask yourself the question, God, did you do this to kind of protect me from something, from a bad decision I could make, a bad dis- business decision you could make? from saying the wrong thing, from being in the wrong place at the wrong time, from being in physical danger, from being in an accident. You don't know. We have to recognize that sometimes the detours are for keeping us from danger. Other times, detours help us to see things that we hadn't seen before. It's only when you take a detour you know, well, that road goes somewhere, and that's another way to get there. And you've never driven down that road before, and you go, wow, isn't the scenery nice here? Isn't this nice, this nice little country drive that I'm taking out of the way to get to the doctor's office today? But you start to notice things that you hadn't noticed before. Why? Because you were always focused on trying to get where you're going. There are times where God wants to show us things that we wouldn't normally see unless we experience a detour of some kind. And there are times that when there's a delay or a detour, he wants you to meet somebody that you wouldn't have met normally sitting in the airport with that delayed flight. And you can either complain about it, or you can say, okay, well, here's someone else in a similar situation. 
there are times where God wants to bring us into the lives of people that we wouldn't have experienced otherwise were it not for that detour. Listen, Paul's in Roman custody for two years. He had plans. He had places to go, things to do. Like, no one was more motivated than Paul. Like, he did three missionary journeys. In a very short period of time, he is going from city to city, preaching and teaching. And he came back just to drop off an offering and to worship God in Jerusalem. And now he's arrested. In two years, he is locked up, and he can't do anything. His hope was to finally get to Rome. But instead, he finds himself waiting. And when we find ourselves waiting, many thoughts come into our mind that are not godly thoughts. They're very human thoughts, very emotional thoughts, very much thoughts that we have in our own heart when things aren't going the way we thought they would. We begin to say to ourselves, did God change his mind? Am I doing something wrong? God, why aren't you doing something? As a follower of Jesus, we must learn to trust God's timing. We must learn to trust his timing. Sometimes the delay has nothing to do with us. Sometimes the devil working against us. But sometimes people who don't like to to follow through on their promises. And sometimes, dare I say it, it can just be life. Because sometimes life is inconvenient. Sometimes life just doesn't work out. Sometimes the boiler in your basement doesn't want to work. Sometimes you come out to a flat tire. You know, sometimes just, you know, you wake up some morning you don't feel well. Sometimes it's just life. And there are times where life can be inconvenient. But what you do with your time, that's what matters. Redeem the time. Make it worth something. Paul didn't just do nothing in two years. He could have just sat down and said, well, I, guess, I guess we're just going to sit here. I guess we're not going to do anything. I guess this is how it is. But no, what did he do? He ministered, number one, to the people he came in contact with. You know, Paul had the the wonderful luxury that he was under house arrest and he was chained to a Roman soldier for about six hours a day. So the Roman soldier, wherever Paul went, the Roman soldier went. Paul's an evangelist. Do we remember that? Paul's a missionary, right? So what do you think Paul is talking about with this Roman soldier that just so happened to have the misfortune of being chained to him? He's talking about Jesus again. And they do shifts, six-hour shifts. Romans would be chained, the Roman guards would be chained to this prisoner. And it's not like Paul was chained to a wall or anything like that. They just kind of, they were chained together. Wherever Paul went, he went, you know. And they walked around the place together. And Paul was able to have visitors. And so it wasn't like a, a terrible thing. Later on in Rome, it's much, much worse when he's in prison. But he's allowed to, to kind of go from, you know, place to place and do different things. But when the shift changed, I'm sure the, the, the Roman governor, the uh, Roman centurion was probably like, thank God you're here. <laughs> it's your turn. Good luck. And they're changed. So Paul ministered, and, it's, and even says that in Paul's ministry that even people from the household of Caesar greet you. In some of his letters that he wrote to the churches. People from the household of Caesar greet you. How do you think that came about? Because Paul was always willing to minister to the people that he found himself with, even in the delay. Secondly, he prayed. He didn't simply think for a moment, you know, I guess God's done with me. Poor me. Life's hard. Things are terrible. I guess this is it. No, he prayed. God, you know what you told me that you wanted to do. So therefore, I stand on your promise. You told me that I must go and testify of you before Caesar. So I'm holding on to that promise and I'm trusting you for that. He wrote. 
in his two years of time during his imprisonment in Rome, eventually he leaves this, ends up going to appealing to Caesar, spends two years in a prison in Rome, and he writes. He writes the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul doesn't just take his time and go, I guess I'm just here. Didn't put on weight. He didn't decide like, you know, listen, we've been quarantined for however many months you were in there and you put on 20 or 30 pounds, right? Like he didn't just sit around and go, I guess I'm going to binge Netflix for the next month and a half. No, Paul's like, what can I do for the kingdom right here, right now? What can I do for him in the delay, in the waiting period? What can I do that God is going to prepare me for the next thing? Instead of looking at your detour as something that's going to derail everything that God had planned for you, maybe you should look at it as like a pit stop for refueling and refreshing. Maybe you should look at it as the, the, you know, every time sometimes you climb a mountain, there's oftentimes plateaus where you sit, you set up camp and you rest and then you go climb again. Maybe you should look at the detours and delays in your life and say, God, I don't like this. I'm not happy about this delay. I'm not excited to be stuck where I am. And if you've ever been stuck, you know what it's like. If you've ever had to be unemployed and waiting for the next job to show up, you know that's a terrible feeling. Or if you're waiting for your children to come back to God, you know what it's like to be that tension of waiting. Or you're waiting for an answer on a job that you just applied for. Or whatever the case might be, you know that it's frustrating. But can I challenge you in the midst of all this to use these times well? Redeem the time. Be productive for the kingdom. Pray. Interact with people. Write things down. Be inspired. Be used by God where you are right now. Because God still has a plan. Sometimes the greatest victories come after delay. I want you to think about this. Still with me? Unless you tend to walk in and out a lot. Are you still with me? Okay. I want you to think about this. Okay. Think of these. Seven days marching around the city of Jericho. That's boring. Don't say anything, by the way, either. Meanwhile, as people are shouting down at you, casting insults at you, Joshua marched around the city of Jericho as the most strangest battle plan that God ever had for taking a city March around the city quietly. And then on the seventh day, shout, and then God will give you the city. In my imagination, because I have a vivid imagination, I almost kind of feel like God's drawing the bullseye. Day seven, down the walls come. Forty days and nights of rain, God completely wipes out and destroys all life on the earth except for Noah. 40 days and 40 nights, he's in that boat while it's raining. And then finally he sees dry land. And then the waters subside. And then a new life begins. A brand new life with his family and with everyone that was on that boat. Good things come after the period of wait. Jesus said, the Son of Man will be, just as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days before he's raised again. Jesus spent three days in the grave before being resurrected again. Could it be for a moment here, if you, I challenge you to think about it, that sometimes good things come on the other side of the delay? Could it be that there's victory on the other side of your delay? And if you give up now, you won't see it. But if you press through and press on, you will. And God's plan cannot be undone or thwarted. 
A delay cannot derail God's plan. God's plan will come to pass for you. I, I want to say it again, and I hope you get a hold of it. Whether you're watching at home or you're watching, God's plan for you cannot be derailed by delays or detours. It cannot be undone by anyone in this world. The delay is not a denial. The delay is not God saying, no, don't do that. The delay is that you're getting, going in the right direction, and guess what? There's opposition. You're trying to do the right thing, and even though we sometimes think that in a world that we live in today, that the good thing that people do is always rewarded, we know that that's not always the case, is it? Keep trusting. Keep praying. You can either grow or grumble in the delay. I'm going to say it again. You can either grow or you can grumble in the period of delay. You can either say, okay, God, what do you want to teach me here? It's just me and you now. we got a lot of time together. You know that time that you didn't have before? You know the time that you were too busy for because you were running every which way because of your schedule? You know that thing where you say, I don't, have, I don't even have time to think, let alone pray? Guess what you have lots of time to do now? Think, pray, talk to God. But that's not the inclination, is it? The inclination is not to talk to God. It's to wallow in pity and to sit down and feel sorry for ourselves. Poor me. I'm in prison. Poor me, I'm delayed. Poor me, things aren't good at work. Poor me, you know, my relationship's not the best. She's always complaining, he's always complaining. What are we doing? We're focusing on ourselves, but are we focusing on God's plan? Are we focusing on growth, or are we just grumbling to ourselves about it? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward as we get ready to close the service today. Nothing can stop God's plan for you. But I want you to write this down. The only thing that can derail God's plan for you is if you desert the plan and stop trusting him. I want you to think about that. So who can stop God's plan for you? You. When you decide, I'm not going to follow this anymore. This is taking too long. You know that David was anointed king at 16, 17 years old, but wasn't king until he was 30s, in his 30s? So where's, what if you gave up on that, like after year two? What is God working in your heart and life to do? What are you trusting and praying for him for? What plan, desire, and goal has he given you? What dream has he given you that's not dead yet, but you find yourself in a holding pattern like a plane? You keep circling, but you're not landing. Can I challenge you today to trust God in the midst of it? Because the only way that God's plan for you is going to stop is if you decide I quit. I give up. This isn't worth it anymore. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep at it. Keep working for the kingdom. What you do with the delays in your life matters. Paul was under house arrest for two years and then spent another two years in Roman prison. Most of us would become despondent and depressed. But even in captivity, Paul stayed active and productive for the kingdom. Delays are a part of life. Detours are frustrating moments in our circumstances. But there's a difference between the delays that come in life and the decisions we delay. Today, I want to challenge you to follow Jesus. If you've been waiting, if you've been holding off on making a decision to follow Jesus, can I challenge you today to make a decision to follow Christ for yourself, 
not because mom or dad said so, not because the church says so, not because of any other reason. But can I challenge you today to make a decision to follow Jesus? Felix loved to hear about Jesus, but wasn't ready to give up his life to do so. The life we receive in Christ is better than anything in this life that this world could offer. But you've got to come to that decision yourself and say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm tired of hearing about him. I'm tired of standing on the outside of the kingdom. We realize today that God wants to open the door for you to come in and be part of the kingdom of God. Just make that decision to do that today. As a believer in Christ, as someone who might find themselves in a waiting pattern right now, a holding pattern, can I challenge you, remind yourself what God said. Remind yourself what he promised you. Go back to that journal and read that entry. Go back to that life verse. You know what I'm talking about? The verse that God gave you when he spoke to you the first time, the one that you kind of just forgot about somewhere. Maybe you need to look that up, find that highlighted verse, write it in a post-it note, and put it on your mirror, or put it on your fridge, or put it somewhere, and remind yourself what God said so that nothing that's happening right now can undo the word that's already been said. No word that anyone else utters is going to last forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will stand forevermore. The words of the critics and the haters and the people that want to keep you down, their words won't last forever. But the word of the Lord is sure and true, and it will stand the test of time. Will you pray with me today? Let's just bow our heads. Today, if you're experiencing a delay of some kind, you're in a frustrating circumstance at this moment. You say, Pastor, I've been waiting on this for a while now, and I haven't seen it take place, and I'm finding myself getting discouraged and downcast. And I just need someone to pray for me today. We're going to pray that God brings about the breakthrough. But if you're in that holding pattern, if you're in that delay, and you need God to do some movement, will you just raise a hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me today. I'm in a holding pattern. I'm stuck, and I need God to move. The Lord's able to do it. He's able to bring about the transformation and the breakthrough we need. In this moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to trust God to bring about the breakthrough. But I'm also going to be available to pray with you, myself, my wife, and a few others who will be here at the front if there's something that you want us to pray for you for, we want to stand in agreement with you for those things. We will do it. So let's pray. God, we just thank you. Thank you that you're not done with us yet. Thank you that you're not finished with us. And the plan is still the plan. And I pray today for each of us as we, Lord, go through our frustrating moments, our detours, or the things that hold us back and hold us down. It seems like it's been forever since we've seen any sign of movement. I pray, God, would you break down every barrier? Would you snap every yoke? Would you just uh, remove every roadblock that stands in the way of people coming to know you or your plan being accomplished in people's lives? Lord, whatever is working against them right now, I pray that you'd start to have it work for them. Lord, turn things around as in the way that only you can do. 
Lord, we know, Lord God, that no plan of yours can be thwarted. So today, we say, let the plan be accomplished and realized in their life. I pray for divine movement in these moments. I pray a, an acceleration of the plan that you have for them. Lord, I pray that you would do it and bring it about quickly. And may they be able to say, it was only God that could have done this. Lord, I pray that we would be ready for that movement. Sometimes the movement takes place and we're not ready for it, but I pray you prepare hearts and minds that they'd be ready for the next thing you want to do in them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.